All right, welcome to this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, but I'm not joined by Jake Miller. Unfortunately, he has come down with a migraine, so it is just me this week. However, he did send me his games for this week's Eyes on 5. But before that, we have to talk about last week's games in our Eyes on 5 recap. And the first game we're going to be talking about is my first game, which was the Jacksonville Jaguars staying in London for the second consecutive week and taking down the Buffalo Bills 25 to 20, ending the Bills three game winning streak. And while I was watching this game, I woke up for it, which I don't know if most people did, but Trevor Lawrence had a fantastic game. 25 of 37, 315 and a touchdown. And he got sacked five times. So he was getting absolutely beat. And yet, he he hung in there tough. That's what I was really, really impressed with. And a lot of the throws he were making, or he was making, were definitely the ones that you would expect him, who was the number one overall pick, to be making. He was making just beautiful throws that not many people could, and this running game was mighty. 40 carries in total, 196 total yards on the ground. Travis Etienne, 26 carries for 136 of those yards and two rushing touchdowns, that last one being the dagger. And this receiving core really, really stepped up. Calvin Ridley had seven catches for 122 yards and Christian Kirk had six for 78. And oh my goodness, even though Trevor Lawrence did have two awful fumbles in the red zone, he got stripped, well played. He, however, still was able to keep them calm keep his team cool, and pull this game out. This defense was making tackle after tackle in key stops. And early on, it looked like it was going to be a blowout for Jacksonville. They were up 11 to nothing. However, it ended up being a bit more of a game. Josh Allen had a good stat line, 27 to 40 for 359, two touchdowns and a pick. And he did contribute a rushing touchdown, but their running game was non-existent. 14 carries in total for 29 total yards. They could not run the ball. Now, you did have Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis go over 100 yards, which was obviously fantastic. Gotta love that. However, at the same time, you kind of need more of a running game. You can't just have Josh Allen carrying the entire load. This is what gets them beat. Not to mention, their defense was playing very, very well. However, they did lose Matt Milano for the year. And after that, they kind of lost all their heart. It really didn't look all that, you know, enthusiastic on the Bills sideline. Rightfully so. But I really thought that Buffalo should have won this game. Now, I did take Jacksonville, but that was more of a hard overhead. And the idea with the play of the game being, and, you know, the biggest you know, I guess I'm trying to figure out how to word this. The biggest, yeah, the biggest play of the game being a pass to Calvin Ridley and you had Micah Hyde covering him. Now I love Micah Hyde. Jake is a big fan of Micah Hyde from when he was with his Packers, but Micah Hyde's old. Calvin Ridley is still really young and it wasn't like he was coming off of an injury last year. He he got suspended for gambling. He had a lot of time to train, and he showed that he could absolutely 
still end up winning, you know, winning one-on-ones, especially against premier defenders, even at their advanced stage, like Micah Hyde. Now, a quick shout out to AJ Espinenza because he was all over the field. He had four total tackles, two sacks, and three passes defensed. He played his heart out, but you have to wonder, are the Bills even Super Bowl contenders now with losing both Tredavious White and Matt Milano? I don't think they are, but that'll remain to be seen. But moving on, we're going to get into Jake's first game of the week this past week, and that was the Saints absolutely annihilating the Patriots 34 to nothing, an absolute shutout, another awful loss for Bill Belichick and New England. And they kind of just controlled this game overall. It was over within the first quarter with that pick six that Honey Badger got off of Mac Jones. And Mac Jones did not have a good day. 12 of 22 for 110 and two picks. One of them going back for that interception, you know, that pick six. And he got benched in the third quarter for Bailey Zappi, who didn't do much better. They're basically the same guy, just one has a cooler last name. But my biggest key with the Patriots here, you have Ramondre Stevenson, who is absolutely your best player on offense. He's your best, he's your playmaker. And he only got eight carries. And he also only, he didn't get a catch. He only had two targets. I would be trying to feature him 15 to 20 times a game. You cannot have Ramondre Stevenson have the same amount of carries as Ezekiel Elliott. It, it just doesn't make sense. They had 18 total carries on the ground for 45 yards. Now, Alvin Kamara is continuing to show how good he is, even at his older age, or as he does get older, 22 carries for 80 yards and a rushing touchdown. And he also had three catches for 17 yards. And the Saints, Jake and I both dismissed the Saints. We did not, him, because he was all in on the Falcons, young quarterback, fantastic off or a running back that you drafted in Bijan Robinson. And he, he also liked Arthur Smith being an offensive coach. I dismissed them mainly because of the fact that I did not trust Dennis Allen. I did not like a defensive head coach. We saw how he was last year, which was not very good. But this Saints team is definitely showing that they can hang. Now, I the Patriots are nothing. You know, they're one in four for now for a reason. But New Orleans is showing that they should be considered the front runners for that division, which is saying something because the South is an absolute mess. But overall, I look at this game more as an indictment on Bill Belichick. He is now lost by a combined 72 to three in his last two games. And this one was at home. He, you can't get shut out at home. You just can't. I look at the Patriots, and we'll get into them a little bit more, but you, you can't, this might be the worst team in the league, just plain and simple, and I think that there's a chance that they move off of Bill Belichick, and I definitely think if this continues, they are drafting a new quarterback in this upcoming draft with how loaded it is, but moving into my second game, 
I actually was keeping my eyes on the char <clears throat> on the Chiefs Vikings, which honestly I thought was going to be a blowout. <laughs> Plain and simple, I thought it was going to be a blowout. But the Chiefs did end up winning it, but it wasn't by a blowout. They only won it 27 to 20. Minnesota, even though they're one and four, they have been playing very, very well. Now, Kirk Cousins, he had a pretty solid game, 29 to 47 for 284 and two touchdowns. But I think the bigger story of this game was the loss of Justin Jefferson. He only had three catches for 28 yards before he got hurt, and he is now on IR. And so that means he will miss at minimum four weeks, which means, hello, Jordan Addison. He had six catches for 64 yards and a touchdown, but he's going to end up being the most important player on this team now, Espe well, especially this offense, because all of those targets are now going to go to him. Now, KJ Osborne, who's kind of mid, to be honest, He's going to also get a lot more targets, but it's not going to be cutting into Jordan Addison's as they were for some reason keeping KJ from letting Jordan kind of blossom and emerge as that first round pick that he was selected as this past draft. Now, uh, Kirk Cousins, I just, I don't understand what they're doing with him. I mean, he's playing really well. But I don't put any real blame on him for the Minnesota Vikings issues. I put it on this defense. Now, they did step up in this game, but you only got two sacks. The Kansas City Chiefs have a solid O-line, but it's not a great O-line. Now, you did get nine quarterback hits, which is definitely good. That showed that, you know, you were keeping pressure on Mahomes, and they were. But overall, Minnesota is not a very good team. The, you, the old saying is, you are what your record says. Or you are what your record is. And they're one in four for a reason. They earned that record. And last year, they went 11-0 in one score games. Now they can't win one to save their life. A lot of people would think, you know, oh, it's a curse. No, it's called the law of averages. They are finally now getting the bill for last year. And... I think the other thing to keep an eye on with this Minnesota Vikings team, what is their run game? 18 carries in total for 70 yards. You had Kirk Cousins throw <clears throat> you had Kirk Cousins throw it 47 times, which you just absolutely cannot have. He should not be throwing it that many times. Now on the Chiefs side, I would look at what is this offense going to look like? Because they ran the ball a small amount of times, more than the Vikings, but not by much. 21 carries in total for 67 yards. Now, Isaiah Pacheco, who is a very solid running back, but we don't look at him as, you know, an elite runner. He had 16 of those carries for 55 yards and a rushing touchdown, but Mahomes was very good. 31 of 41, 281, and two touchdowns. And thankfully, Travis Kelsey is okay. He did have a very scary-looking injury at one point, and it was non-contact. I genuinely thought he was out for the rest of the year because he, he was down and he was in pain. 
Now, thankfully, he was able to come back in this game, and he had a very good stat line. 10 catches for 67 yards and a touchdown. And Rasheed Rice is continuing to develop as the receiver that they need because outside of, you know, what, you have MVS, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, you kind of just use him for whatever. And Kadarius Toney, I like him, but I don't think he's all that special as far as a receiver goes. But the Chiefs' defense, that is something that I have been absolutely loving. They have been playing a lot more, like, they've been playing a lot more aggressive, and they're young. I think that's the other thing. They are very, very young, which really helps. The only person you're really paying is Chris Jones. Now, he did have a sack. I mean, he's always going to have a sack, it seems like, in every game. And that's why you pay a guy like him. Because you need one pass rusher for sure on every team that can absolutely win one-on-ones and sometimes two-on-ones. The Chiefs, I think, are still the cream of the crop in the AFC. I think I would put them slightly above the Chargers and the Dolphins. I definitely put them above the Bills and I have to put them above the Bengals, but we'll see this upcoming week when the Bengals play Seattle. More on that later. But going into Jake's second game, he was watching the Bengals beat down the Cardinals 34-20. to And this Cardinals team, they're chippy. They are 1-4, but they are very, very chippy. Josh Dobbs, he didn't have a good game here, but he had been playing very, very well coming into this. He went 15 for 32, 166, two touchdowns and two picks. But that's a credit more to the Bengals' defense than an uh, indictment on Arizona's offense. Because we have seen they are a scrappy bunch. Now, unfortunately, James Conner did get hurt in this game. And he is also on IR. And so that'll be Ermari DiMarcado is going to be now the, you know, the running back to go. And then you also have... Um, I believe his name is Keontae Davis, but he's mainly hurt. He's usually hurt, which is not very good. You can't, you know, you can't have a running back who is just coming off an injury be the starter. So I would look for uh, Di Mercado to get the majority. Now, their receiving core, we didn't look at it as all that great, but Hollywood Brown had four catches for 61 yards and a receiving touchdown. And Rondell Moore is being that gadget guy that they absolutely need. Now, unfortunately, their number one that I think would be, I think their number one, Michael Wilson, unfortunately followed up last week's performance with one catch for 18 yards. You got to get him more involved. Now, they did target him only two times. You got to get that number up. You can't have that. But more on the Bengals side, Joe Burrow looked like he was back finally. 36 of 46 for 317, three touchdowns and a pick. You can live with a pick because he is going to take chances. And they were also keeping a very balanced attack on the ground as well. Joe Mixon, 25 carries for 81 yards. They ran it 30 times in total for 93 yards. Not great as far as yards per carry, but it at least keeps defenses honest and they can't tee off on Burrow the entire time. And Jamar Chase... Whoo, what a game he had. 15 catches, 192 yards, three receiving touchdowns, 
that LSU connection really looks like it's firing up now. And I think that is going to be a scary, scary thing. Now, T. Higgins, he didn't play. So, yeah, you hope that we'll see more from him. But who knows? I think the other thing, though, is this defense was very, very aggressive. And they were making sure to tackle pretty much everything in sight. Now, they... They didn't have a ton of tackles. They only had 51 total tackles. But I would look at that and I would say that means that they weren't on the field as much as the Cardinals defense was on the field, which means they're getting the ball back to their offense so they can just go off. And the Bengals now at two and three, this upcoming game is going to be massive because they need to win it in order to keep pace in the AFC North, which for some reason the Steelers are winning, which I I don't I don't understand. But on the Cardinals side, I think they're hoping that Kyler Murray can come back, but I don't know if I'd bring him back. I would just look at it and say, this season's lost, get healthy. We don't want you putting bad tape out, because I do think that there's a chance that they end up drafting a quarterback anyway and trading Kyler Murray in order to get off that salary and sort of restart the quarterback payment clock. But moving into our final game for our Eyes on 5 recap, <laughs> Jake and I thought that this was going to be the game of the year. And it was for one team. It was, and it'll be the game of the year for ratings, but it was not a competitive game. The San Francisco 49ers in at home in Santa Clara absolutely trounced the Dallas Cowboys 42 to 10 in a game that basically made the Cowboys look like the pretenders that they always are. Dak Prescott 14 to 24 for 153, one touchdown and three interceptions. That just it, it I could just say that and that would explain things as a whole, but let's go a little bit deeper. Their running game, 19 total carries for 57 yards rushing. And CeeDee Lamb, four catches for 49 yards. I have a lot of things to say with Dallas, and we'll start with told you so. Because I kept bringing up what would happen if Dallas, Dallas's defense didn't get scooping scores, pick sixes, have, you know, phenomenal games. Well, we saw it against the Cardinals. We saw it tonight. Or, we saw it that night. And it wasn't even a close game. I remember watching it, and I was just thinking, yeah, that this is the best team in football. I said last week, San Fran was the best team in football, and they showed it uh, in this game. I mean, Brock Purdy, 17-24, 252, and four passing touchdowns. And their running game was also very, very good. They had 41 total carries for 170 yards. Christian McCaffrey got outrushed by Jordan Mason, but that's because McCaffrey, <laughs> they had him come back in the fourth quarter. They just took him off the field. They were like, yeah, we don't need to run up the score. It just ended up being like that. And I mean, George Kittle, man, where has this been? Three catches Three touchdowns, 67 yards receiving. This is the George Kittle that we usually expect to see, but we don't always see. 
And this, I mean, he helped me in fantasy. He almost outscored Josh Allen, but and he only missed it by 0 .06 points, which is just mind-boggling to me that a tight end almost outscored a quarterback. That is very, very rare. But I think that Sam Fran, I pick my Seahawks to win the NFC West. I'm not backing down from it, but they got a tall task ahead of them because this San Fran team, and especially this defense, is ferocious. They got four sacks. They had nine quarterback hits, six pass defenses, and Fred Warner had the single most impressive play I think I've ever seen from a linebacker. They ran a rub route, and not only did they not rub him, and he basically undercut the route, he then ran with the route. Oh, Dak tried to step up and throw it. He jumped up so Dak couldn't throw it over him and then sacked him. That alone, I mean, if you get a chance to go back and rewatch that game, look for that play because it was early on. Best play I think I've ever seen from a linebacker. And if I look at Dallas... I I, th I think it's just safe to say they're posers. Losing Trayvon Diggs really, really hurt. It really hurt this defense because this defense works really well when they get a lead and when they can get turnovers, when they can get picks, when they can get fumbles, put their offense on a short field because this offense can't do anything in the red zone. They They can't do anything in the red zone. I mean, they didn't even make it to the red zone. The only touchdown that they got was a beautiful pass by Dak Prescott to Cavante Turpin, who now unfortunately is hurt. I look at this team and I just think that they are a second tier team in the NFC, more in the Detroit Seattle range rather than the Philadelphia Eagles San Francisco 49ers range they are in that second tier and I would look to see can Dallas can they rebound that's going to be the big key can they rebound because if they can rebound that will help massively as far as their psyche goes and as far as the fact that they just they need something good Plain and simple, they need something good. But moving on now to this past Thursday night's game. Now, I'm recording this on Saturday, unfortunately. But this past game, this past Thursday, it was the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely annihilating the Broncos. Not by a score, but by just the performance. They took down on the Broncos... 19 to 8 and Russell Wilson I have been one of his biggest supporters. I he was my quarterback in Seattle. He was my guy. And I have been defending him in that he has not looked washed this year. He he didn't look great last year, but he is not washed. But this is the first time where I will acknowledge he looked really bad. 13 of 22 for 95 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. And he got sacked four times. Now, when I look at this, 
and they were running the ball well, I should also add. 23 carries for 115 yards. They ran the ball well. Javante Williams, 10 carries, but only 52 yards. Good yards per carry average, but this offense is just, it's putrid. I mean, Cortland Sutton, we look at him as a number one receiver, but four catches for 46 yards. He did have a nice touchdown, but eh. Jerry Judy, we thought he was absolutely going to be a number one receiver. Three catches for 14 yards. That's a wide receiver four. And this defense, unfortunately, they had one of their best performances, arguably. I mean, they got two sacks, they hit Mahomes five times, and they def they had five passes defense, not to mention they got an interception, and they had another one, but unfortunately it was called back due to a penalty. But Denver's just plain bad. And Russell Wilson's contract kicks in this next year. There's no way to get out of it, so I don't know what Denver does. But on Kansas City side, I liked that they were able to win this game and be pretty dominant in it. Mahomes 30 for 40, 306, a touchdown and an interception, which you can't have an interception in a game like this moving forward because in games like these, points are a premium and turnovers are the last thing you want. But I like that they were able to lean on the run pretty well. 27 carries, 96 yards. And Pacheco had a decent game, 16 carries for 62 yards. But Mahomes' scrambles were really what broke the back of this defense. And Travis Kelsey, as I mentioned against the Vikings, it looked like he was hurt. He came back very well in this game. Nine catches for 124 yards. And he caught all of his targets. And Rasheed Rice, again, Four catches for 72 yards off of four targets. Very, very good. But, and this defense really stepped up. They stifled pretty much everything that Denver wanted to try. They got four sacks on Russell Wilson, like I said earlier. And they hit him seven times. They had nine passes defensed. And this, this is the kind of game that Kansas City needs to bolster themselves moving forward because in the playoffs turnovers are the worst thing that you can have for your offense but it's great if your defense is taking the ball away and they're five and one they've they've won five straight games since that opening day loss to Detroit and they did not have Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey now, the people who said that game had an asterisk, they can go fuck themselves. That's bullshit. But Kansas City is riding high, and they're looking like the defending champs that we expected, while Denver is looking like a dumpster fire. Which brings us into our next topic. Who is the worst team in the NFL? Well, for me, I think it's going to be a competition between three teams, the New England Patriots, the Denver Broncos, and the New York Football Giants. Now, you could argue why Carolina isn't in this, being that they're winless. They do have a rookie quarterback in Bryce Young, and their O-line is bad. Their receiving core is not great. Adam Thielen is a fantastic receiver, but he is indeed old. And so, I'm excluding them from that because they 
very unique case and they are an exception in that they do have a rookie quarterback. We usually don't expect rookie quarterbacks to be fantastic in their first year. It's not usual, but I'm going to go with each team and then give you my final analysis on that. I'll start with Denver since they were the most recent one. The Denver Broncos have a lot of issues. Russell Wilson he has been good, but not great this year. And he has had those moments where he has looked like Seattle Russ. And he has had moments and sometimes games where he looks like he is over the hill. Now, this past week was an example of that. 13-22 for 95 yards. Russell Wilson is far better than that. He's far better than that. You can't have under 100 yards passing for a potential Hall of Famer. Now, a lot of people would argue that this past year and potentially this year may cost him his gold jacket. I don't. But even more on that, the receiving core has been very underwhelming. You, you can't have Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy be playing the way that they are. And I'm going to hammer in mainly on Sean Payton. I think that he holds the most blame here because when he took the job in Denver, he called out Nathaniel Hackett and said that it was quote unquote, one of the worst coaching jobs in NFL history. Well, motherfucker, you're not doing much better. You're one in five. And all you've done is shit talk your quarterback and say that he needs to stop kissing babies. Well, Maybe you should maybe figure out how to actually coach an offense and not be harping on him about things outside of football. Maybe keep it in football. Maybe not take pot shots at him. And you said that if this team wasn't a playoff team, you would be pissed. Well, I'm pissed at you for not getting him to be a playoff team. Plain and simple. You hold a lot of the blame here. Now, like I said, Russ is not without blame because he has not played like the caliber of quarterback that we would expect. But at the same time, not only has Sean Payton's coaching been bad, but so has Vance Joseph. In a game like this, you did really well. But we can't forget the fact that you had 70 hung on you. We can't forget that you had, you know, you had a Jets team with Zach Wilson that scored 31 on you. Now, yes, I know, you know, scoop and score, big whoop. It's still 31 points. You can't, like, Denver is bad, and I don't see any real, you know, I don't see any way out or any way to improve this for them moving forward. And yet, with all of that, I don't think they are the worst team in football. Now I'll move to the New England Patriots. Mac Jones is a backup. Plain and simple, he's a backup. He looked good in his rookie year, and Josh McDaniels, I think, is a good coordinator. He's a questionable head coach, but he's a good coordinator. But Bailey Zappi is not the answer either. He's, like I said earlier, he's Mac Jones, but with a cooler last name. And this offense is just devoid of any talent. Kendrick Bourne is your number one. That's a four. Devontae Parker can't separate from me. 
your, your tight ends are probably your only real playmakers, but Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki don't inspire a whole lot of confidence. And this defense, we look at usually as Bill Belichick being the defensive genius, the mastermind. And yet, without Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez, which don't get me wrong, they are big losses. Christian Gonzalez was playing exceptional before he got hurt. And Matthew Judon is a very, very good pass rusher, arguable defensive player of the year candidate every year. And yet, if he's a genius, I would expect him to be able to muster up better performances than giving up 38 and 34 in back-to-back -back weeks. And your offense only put up three points in those eight quarters of play. <sighs> the Patriots are a terrible team, and I would look at good old Robert Kraft to clean house, potentially. Ditch Belichick, ditch um, his sons, I think Gerard Mayo is going to be the head coach moving forward, and it has been said that he is being groomed to be the heir apparent and the successor to Bill Belichick when he does move on. I think that that is very, very likely. I know that Robert Kraft would want Bill Belichick to be able to get Don Shula's record, but he's, and while he's close, he's still kind of far away. And I don't really think that he's going to be able to get it because, I mean, he's been kind of meh. Since Brady got hurt, he's, or since Brady's moved on and now retired, he's been meh. The only real time that we've seen him perform well was with Matt Castle, and that was more due to the fact that that offense was exceptional. That was the offense that had just come off of 18-1, and one, losing in the Super Bowl to the New York Giants. And Ramondre Stevenson, I said it earlier, he is your best playmaker, and yet he is splitting carries with an over-the-hill, washed-up, fat Ezekiel Elliott. It's just a shame. It, it, it's truly a shame, the fact that that is what people are doing. Like, that people think that New England is in any position to potentially get into the playoffs. Because they're not. Like I said, they're 1-4. Denver's 1-5, which you would argue, like I said, they're not the worst team. And I don't think the Patriots are the worst team. Which brings me to the team that I think is the worst team in football, the New York football giants. I like Brian Dable, but he can only do so much with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones was selected, I believe, sixth overall in the first round of the draft. And I don't think I would hire him to wash my car. He always seems to have this look on his face where he is confused out of his mind. And I wouldn't be surprised, considering he did play at Duke, which isn't necessarily known for their football. They're known for their basketball for a reason. And he's just, he, he's mid. Plain and simple, he's mid. Saquon Barkley, as I love Saquon Barkley, he should have gotten paid. And I think it's silly that the ownership went to war with him. And he ended up having to sign a contract that was basically the franchise tag with a little bit more pennies. But he's often hurt. Even though he's electric, he's often hurt. 
And then you look at the receivers outside of Jalen Hyatt, who's a rookie. Their receivers are trash. They're just plain trash. And the O-line outside of Andrew Thomas is also trash. Evan Neal is a bust. Plain and simple, he's a bust. And on defense, I mean, they have nice pieces on defense. I mean, you have Leonard Williams. You have Dexter Lawrence. I mean, the rookie Deontay Banks, though, has been absolutely cooked. He hasn't been very good. And I think they're the worst team because they're going to have to get a new quarterback at the at the start of this year. In this draft, you have to get rid of Daniel Jones. But you signed him for four years and $160 million because the ownership thought that they had to have him. They had to have this guy because he came from the South. He worked with Eli Manning's coach in college, David Cutcliffe. They want him to be Eli Manning so bad. And yet he's basically Ryan Leaf that can run a little bit more. And even if they do draft a new quarterback, what talent do you have? You have Jalen Hyatt, like I said, who can fly, but he's not a route runner. And your other receivers aren't great. I love Saquon, but he's hurt a lot of the time. And you put a rookie quarterback behind that O-line, he's going to get killed. He's going to have a two-year career. They have no way out. And that's because of the fact that they decided to... They decided to basically put their money on a guy that is basically, like I said, Ryan Leaf. He's he's awful. He He's just plain awful. And if the Giants... I think it's more than likely they end up getting the number one pick. I presented that as a hot take. And I thought that, you know, maybe they'll win six games. I didn't think that they'd be in the first round pick or number one overall pick sweepstakes. The Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Drake May, Michael Penix, Riley Leonard. But they have effectively shown that that is exactly where they are. And they have proved me right very, very unexpectedly. Even though I expected it, most people probably didn't, especially New York fans. But moving in to our Eyes on 5 predictions for week 6, and Jake sent me in his games, and his first game is going to be the Commanders heading to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. And when I look at this game, the Commanders are 2-3, and three, but they are coming off of a drubbing by the Bears and Justin Fields, who before really didn't look all that good. Now, I think that in order for Atlanta to continue to win games, they're going to need B. John Robinson to be special because they had a very good game last week. Bijan had a good game. But Kyle Pitts, seven catches for 87 yards. Arthur Smith, we need to check on him. I think we need to check his pulse, make sure he's breathing. Because the fact that he finally woke up and used Kyle Pitts is mind-boggling to me. Because why the hell weren't you doing this before? He is your best player. He's basically a wide receiver, but he's 6'6". He's that, and he's a freak. He's fast as hell. 
but you were wanting to have Jonu Smith and Michael Pruitt be your stars at tight end. And Drake London, you need to get him involved as well. But I think the biggest thing for that game is going to be Bijan Robinson taking down a defense that, as we saw last week, can be had. And for the Commanders, in order for them to win this, Sam Howell's going to need to continue to be a warrior, and he's going to need to get Logan Thomas and Terry McLaurin the ball early and often. Now, Logan Thomas has been playing incredibly well. I think that if you have whatever his yardage is, I'd probably take the over on it because if it's like 40 yards, he seems to hit that every week, except for the one time that he didn't this week, he was hurt. So I would look at him to be playing really, really well. Now, Atlanta is favored by two and a half. I don't know really who I would take in this game. If you forced me to take it aside, I'd probably give it to Atlanta because I don't trust Sam Howell. I don't trust Desmond Ritter either, but I trust the offensive weapons more on Atlanta's side. And I do think that Atlanta secondary is much better than the commanders because Emmanuel Forbes, he has been an abysmal cornerback. But moving into my first game, once again, I am picking the early morning game, Ravens in London taking on the Titans. And the keys for winning for the Ravens are plain and simple. Catch the damn ball. They had eight drops last week against the Steelers. Lamar Jackson basically was throwing to people who decided to bathe in butter because they couldn't hold on to anything. Now, they need this game in order to keep ahead of the Steelers, who are on bye this week. And I think that Lamar Jackson, if he continues to be accurate like he was last week, and his receivers actually, I don't know, catch the ball, then they're going to have a pretty easy time against this Titans secondary and defense which hasn't really inspired a whole lot of confidence. And Lamar Jackson, I think that this is the kind of game where we could see 250 yards passing and potentially 100 yards rushing because this is a Titans defense. Like I said, they're not all that great outside of Jeffrey Simmons. Now, the keys for the Titans is basically what it always is. Lean on Derrick Henry. Now, he has had some games this this season where he hasn't looked very good, but that's because he's been game scripted out. They fall behind 10-0, 14-0, 17-0, and you can't really run the ball. And for some reason, they've been having him split carries with Tajay Spears, which I don't understand, really. I think that it's one of those things that you definitely would rather have um, Derrick Henry carry the ball and I think he has to have at least 20 to 25 carries in order for the Titans to win. And Ryan Tannehill, he's been playing really bad. Derrick Henry has the same amount of rushing touchdowns as Ryan Tannehill has passing touchdowns. And Tannehill has thrown five interceptions. I really don't think there's any way that the Titans can win this game. Ravens are favored by four and a half. I would take the Ravens on this because I think that it is easily capable of getting out of hand early. And the Ravens, if you were to ask me to pick a score, 
I think it would be a sort of 28 to 13 game or 27 to 17. I'm giving the uh, Titans a little bit of credit because I do think Derrick Henry is going to have a touchdown on the ground. But overall, I think that this is the Ravens game to lose and they should walk out of London with the win. But moving on to Jake's second game, he had the Lions taking on the Buccaneers. And my thoughts on this game, the key for the Buccaneers are whatever Baker Mayfield is doing, keep it going because he's been playing very, very well. And you have him at, he has the Buccaneers at three and one. Now, I don't look at him as a franchise guy, but I do think that he is a very good quarterback when he has help around him. And boy, does he have help around him in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I think if the Buccaneers want to upset the Lions, they will have to get the ball to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin early and often and sprinkle in a little bit of Cade Otten as well. I think that if they're able to get a lead early and let that defense highlighted by Shaq Barrett, Devin White, and Levante David, they should be able to get things moving and potentially upset the Lions. But I think that the key for the Lions is continue to just get everyone involved. You've been getting Amon Ross St. Brown involved. You've been getting Sam Laporta involved. Josh Reynolds has been solid. And Jared Goff, he's been wheeling and dealing. He's got 1,265 yards, nine touchdowns, and three picks so far this season. And I think that's phenomenal, to be honest, because I think that Jared Goff got a bad rap when he was in St. Louis and then Los Angeles because Jeff Fisher was out of touch and didn't know how to coach a rookie quarterback. And Sean McVay, a lot of people thought that it was all McVay and none of Goff. But I think we've seen that Goff actually is, he was worthy of the number one pick for a reason. He's very accurate and he has an underrated arm. I think also David Montgomery, he has basically made fantasy owners of Jameer Gibbs cry because after he came back from injury, Ooh, he was absolutely cooking. And I think that if they keep this running game going, that's going to be where they can hold the Buccaneers down and absolutely beat them. Because if you can wear down that defense, then I think that the Lions should be able to walk in and blow this team out potentially. Because I think that if they get to 30 I don't know if the Buccaneers can. Now, Detroit is favored by three. I would absolutely take the three. I think it would be a game around a 28 to 21, maybe a 30 to 20. That's about where I have it. But yeah, that I think the Lions win this game and continue to extend their lead in the NFC North where there's really no other team that is competing with them. But moving into my second game, I'm going to be keeping my eyes on my Seahawks taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. It is a 10 o'clock window, and Seattle plays very, very well in the 10 o'clock window. And I would look at Seattle 
if Geno Smith is able to continue to be what we've seen, which is a accurate distributor, and he's able to continue to take those deep shots, which really, honestly, has been shockingly effective. Now, they've tried to take away the deep shots a little bit. I think that if they're able to remain consistent on offense, they're going to be able to take advantage of a Bengals secondary that has been gotten the better of. And I think that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, this is the kind of game where they absolutely need to shine. Now, Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet, if they're able to continue to bruise and bash their way through defenses, I think that they're going to be able to control the ball, keep Burrow on the sideline, maybe dirty this game up, and come away with a win. But I think that they are also able to win a shootout, but it's going to come down to can those corners in Tariq Woolen and Devin Witherspoon hold up, hold off the dynamic duo of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, which then brings me to the Bengals' keys to winning, which is twofold. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, keep it going, because that connection is it's dominant, as we saw this past week. I think if they're able to keep this connection going, then the Bengals can absolutely beat the Seahawks, which their secondary, while very good, it is young, and young defenses you can take advantage of, especially the Seahawks defense, which we've seen in the past is not great, and I believe is 32nd, dead last, in covering receivers in fantasy. So if you have Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, you might want to start them. And then the other key, I think, for the Bengals is pressure, pressure, pressure. Seattle has a injury-riddled O-line. I believe both tackles are still out. If Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard have their way with this O-line, then it's going to be a long day for Geno Smith because you're going to be able to take the run out of it. And if you're able to start fast, get a lead, you know, 7 nothing, 10 nothing on this Seahawks team, force them to be one-dimensional, they are going to be able to potentially blow out the Seahawks because... I don't know if the Seahawks are able to come from behind yet. We've seen them play very, very well, but I don't know if we've seen them have the ability to come from behind 10, 14 points. That's going to be a key if they do get down. Can Seattle come back against a Bengals team and Bengals defense that outside of the secondary, like I mentioned, which can be had, their linebackers and pass rush is fearsome. Now, Cincinnati is favored by three. I would probably take the, the Seahawks and the points because I do think that it is going to be a closer game than that, but you can argue that I'm being a bit of a homer. Now, I think that my Seahawks will win this game. Like I said, they do very well in the 10 o'clock window, and while Burrow is fantastic, he really hasn't looked like himself outside of this past week. So I think that this is a defense that can force him into a pick or two and potentially get them behind and playing catch up, which I believe is exactly where you want the Bengals to be. But moving into our final game for our eyes on five, and Jake and I both agreed that this one probably has the most interesting storyline with it. 
the Cowboys and the Chargers Monday Night Football in SoFi Stadium in beautiful California. And for the Cowboys, this is a this is a key game because you're coming off of that blowout to the 49ers. They need this game to rebound because this is also a revenge game. Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator of the Chargers, was the offensive coordinator for Dallas. And they put last year's playoff loss also to the 49ers on Kellen Moore's shoulders. They fired him. They allowed Mike McCarthy to now call the plays. And we've seen how that looks. Not very good. In the red zone, they are awful. And I think the keys for Dallas to win is that defense is going to have to play out of their mind like they have in their wins. Now, I would look for Tony Pollard to also get involved more. I think that if they are able to get the run game established, they are going to be able to ball control, keep Herbert on the sideline, which is exactly where you want him to be, and potentially muddy this game up, keep it a little low scoring, get a lead potentially, and then allow Micah Parsons and that defense to go quarterback hunting. I think that is the only way for Dallas to win, is if their defense plays out of their minds. Now, for the Chargers, I think it's just going to come down to Justin Herbert attacking those corners. Because while Stefan Gilmore is fantastic, he is older, and there is no Trayvon Diggs on that other side. So, Keenan Allen, I think if he's able to get matched up on someone other than Stefan Gilmore, he's going to feast. And Quentin Johnson, I think that this could be a breakout game for him. Mike Williams is out and for the rest of the year. This would be the game for Quentin Johnson to have a breakout moment, a welcome to the league, a welcome NFL, this is me. Because if he's able to have a game like that, Cowboys have no chance of winning this game. Now, Dallas is favored by two. I would absolutely take the Chargers plus two because I think that they are going to be able to put points up on the board that I don't think Dallas's offense is going to be able to do. I could see this in the realm of a 30-17 game. Chargers win it, and Kellen Moore gets some revenge and shows the Cowboys that he was not the problem. The problem is the guy... In, with the head coaching hat who spends most of his time looking up at the scoreboard rather than actually calling, you know, good plays. Plays that actually will win games. Because I think that Mike McCarthy has a chance of getting fired at the end of the year. And I don't think anyone in Dallas would be upset about that. No one. And I think that potentially... We could see someone from the college game show up there. Maybe a Ryan Day. Maybe a Jim Harbaugh. Or maybe, if he would leave, I don't think he would. But if he did, Lincoln Riley. We'll have to keep our eyes on that. But that's going to do it for the for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. It's a little weird being alone. I, I miss Jake. I definitely would much rather have him with me. But if you guys liked this podcast, make sure to follow and subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm Adam Skirko. Thanks for listening. Take care.